Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and this is a podcast which will deliver hope along with some faith formation. We will explore the areas of our faith to better understand who we are as Catholics. Our topic today is law and order. Have you ever thought about how the Catholic Church is governed? Just like any other organization, there are laws and policies that legislate how it functions. Well, as a church, the Catholic Church also adheres to its operational law, its own law and order, per se. It's called the Code of Canon Law. Canon is the Greek word for rule, norm, standard, or measure. It is used in the church language. 1. The Canon of Sacred Scripture is a list of books recognized by the Church as inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2. Before the liturgical reforms in the Second Vatican Council, the single Eucharistic prayer used universally in the Latin Mass was called the Roman Canon. Lastly, Canon is another name for a law in the Code of Canon Law. Today, we have a canon lawyer with us to help us understand and explain what canon law means. Father Gerald Murray will share with us this really interesting part of our church. So welcome to A Reason for Hope, and here we go. So Dave, how are you today? How's everything going? It's going great. Thanks. Yeah. Good to be back here, spending some time with you and sharing the faith. Absolutely. What's uh, what's shaking? Well, actually, a lot. Um, really, we have uh, we have two daughters who are expecting. Wow! Yeah, and they're actually due just about three weeks apart from one another. So it's going to be an exciting fall. Wow, that's exciting! Uh, so everyone out there in the uh, viewing and listening audience, please keep them in your prayers. And uh, of course, we're totally excited about that. That's going to be great. Uh, you know, when we were. Having our own children, it was always an overwhelming thing to see our family growing and and uh, to meet meet all those beautiful souls that the Lord was giving us. But now, since our youngest is six, you know the the grandkids coming is really exciting because we haven't had we haven't had our own baby in a long time, and now we just see the family continuing to grow through our grandchildren. So. So yeah, so it's a pretty profound experience having grandchildren. That's awesome. You know, typically when you get into this point in your life, which Sue and I are in, you know, we're grandparents as well. It's just a, it's just a beautiful experience to see your kids' kids. And as a grandparent, there's a there's a, a, a whole new level of joy, right? Experiencing it. But you're sort of like multi-blessed because you got your young kids and then you got your grandkids all sort of like running around at the same time. It's a double whammy. So that's pretty cool actually yeah i actually think <laughs> that the grandkids like coming over to our house because there are other kids <laughs> I know. It's, like, <laughs> so it's kind of fun that's exciting um, you know the role of uh, of a grandfather of course is different than that of a, of a father mm. but that doesn't mean that it's merely the role of a cheerleader either you know i think clearly once children grow up they don't have to obey their parents in the same way they did when they were younger and lived at home, there's certainly a reverence and respect that's still owed to parents by their kids, even mm -hmm. when they're up and out, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's even more than the whole, you know, you should care for your parents when they're old thing. I mean, that's obviously something that we're 
supposed to do. We're supposed to help our parents and care for them as they get old. I have a uh, a 92-year-old dad going on 93, and, and his health has been deteriorating. And so mm. you know, that's been real uh, to, to me and to Shannon. But it's it's also more than, you know, kids would do well to listen to the wisdom of the old guy, you know? <laughs> like, so, yeah. Sure, they should. You should listen to the wisdom of of grandparents. But, but no, there's a real authority that still exists because you are still and always will be the the father of your children right and and there are obligations that grandparents have to their grandkids in fact in the book of Deuteronomy when god tells moses to teach all these things in his law to your children he adds and to your children's children mm. so you could argue that there's a responsibility and obligation for grandparents to teach their grandchildren the faith, Mm, teach them about God's law. Mm -hmm. So I think the scriptures are clear on that. And I think even beyond the scriptures, you know, the natural law would indicate that grandparents still have a, a position of authority within the family. Yeah. Yeah, Even I mean, though it's not the same, obviously it changes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, well, speaking about natural law, you know, our topic today is on law and order. And we have Father Gerald Murray on the show. And he's got his doctorate in canon law, which is very, very cool. Uh, so we spoke about uh, his work and the purpose of law, generally canon law specifically. And, you know, sometimes we hear and and we're accused as Catholics, and, and often by Protestants, but even Catholics accuse Catholics about the fact that Catholicism is really all about the rules. Um, people sometimes put following the law and the personal relationship with Jesus opposed to one another, and often criticize the Catholic Church. In fact, uh, they may even ascribe to sola fide, a doctrine that says that you need to profess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, uh, to be saved, and you don't really need to follow any rules or do any works. Uh, they often quote St. Paul, and they say that we are not under the law, but under grace. So can you sort of, you know, explain this confusion? Yeah, well, I think one of the things we should do is make some distinctions about what we mean by law. So what is law? Law comes from the Latin word lex, which is actually a derivative from the word legare, which means to bind. In fact, that's also where we get the word obligation from legare. So law is a rule or measure of acts whereby man is induced to act or is restrained from acting because it binds you to a particular kind of action. So, St. Thomas Aquinas says that law is nothing other than a certain ordinance of reason for the common good promulgated by him who has care of the community. So, that's what law is. Now, what is the eternal law? The eternal law is the divine plan or divine providence for the world, God's ordering of all things to attain their fulfillment and the end for which they were created. So this law exists in God. Ultimately, human beings don't know all of it because we can't know the mind of God fully, but we can know it because of two things. One is natural law, and two is revealed law. So what's natural law? Natural law is human beings' participation in the eternal law by means of reason. In other words, God writes 
his law into the things he creates. And human beings, by a sort of divine light given to them and their reason, can discern this law. Uh, The most general precept of the natural law is good is to be done and evil is to be avoided. But we can know the good that's to be done because we can know something of the end for which God created things. So, Mm. i just give you an example is God created sex for a particular reason. So, he created it for the procreation of children and the union of the spouses. Well, we can, by our reason, reflecting on what sex is and what sexual organs are for, discover why God created sex. And then we need to conform our behavior to the purpose for which he made it, which is why sex belongs exclusively between a man and woman who are married and must always remain open to life. Mm. So, to contracept, for example, would be a violation of the natural law because it would be opposed to the very end of sex as God created it, you Mm -hmm. see? So, that's the natural law. And then we have what is called revealed law or divine positive law, which is basically the law of God is found in divine revelation through scripture and tradition. For example, the Ten Commandments or the teachings of Jesus. So, we can know certain things about the eternal law by reason alone through the natural law, but then God reveals to us more in divine revelation about his law and his plan for the world and his plan for all things that he's created to attain their end. Now, this law is manifested in civil laws. So, we have human law that human beings create. You know, we have people who make laws in our own country for the citizens of our country, presumably for the common good and for the just ordering of society. Uh, but, but it's not going to accomplish that goal of the common good and the just ordering of society if the laws are not in conformity with God's law. Right, so, makes sense. So, a human law or a civil law that contradicts the natural law, which would then contradict the eternal law, or that contradicts revealed law, as revealed in the scriptures and tradition, uh, would never bring about the common good or the just ordering of society. And I think one of the things that's important about this is that if law has as its end the just ordering of society and the common good of the people within it, peace is the result of a just ordering, which is why it's often said, if you want peace, work for justice. But justice comes from God, and there's no justice where God's law is disobeyed. The only truly just order and peaceful society in which the good of everyone is achieved is in a country where God's law is the basis of the civil law, and there's no civil laws that contradict God's law. Now, there's also church law or canon law, and I'm going to leave that one to Father Jerry. (laughs) Hey, want to help make this podcast better? Go to our survey URL in the show notes and leave your mark on A Reason for Hope. Yeah, I mean, all those laws could sound somewhat confusing to follow along, but, you know, once you dive into them, it it really articulates the purpose and meaning of why there is the laws and the Catholic teaching to begin with, you know, and canon law kind of keeps all those things straight for us, you know, as a church. Right. Uh, and, and, and Father Jerry kind of reveals all that, you know, and explains that in the interview, so it's kind of cool. Because ultimately what canon law is is going to be 
what God has revealed, not only in scripture and tradition, but also in the natural law, made applicable to various situations within church life. Right, right. And he'll get into that, which will be great. Mm-hmm. Now, to the question about the connection between keeping the law and a personal relationship with Jesus, this is one of those things that I think always gets blown out of proportion, as if these things are in opposition to one another, as you mentioned. Jesus himself makes the connection between keeping the law and a relationship with him. He's the one who said, the one who loves me keeps my commandments, or you are my friends if you do what I command you. So the relationship with Jesus seems to be predicated on us keeping the law. Now, people say, but Jesus loves us unconditionally. Well, yes, love is unconditional. Jesus loves us unconditionally, but relationships are never unconditional. They always take two people, you know, like, and Mm -hmm. so in this sense, Jesus loving us is not a relationship. It's when we return the love that we have a relationship with him. And how is it that we return that love? By obeying him, by doing what he tells us to do, by living the way he calls us to live. So it's always been the teaching of the church that keeping the commandments is necessary for salvation in addition to faith in Jesus. Rejecting the commandments means we're rejecting God and his authority along with them. So how can we say we have a relationship with God when we're breaking the commandments that he's given us? It's as if we're, we're completely pushing him away when we choose to do that. We're rejecting him by rejecting his law. So I think that we need to sort of spin that right around when somebody starts to talk that way. Mm-hmm. I have to say, no, I thought it seems pretty clear to me based on the scriptures that keeping the commandments and following the will of God is necessary for salvation. In fact, when the rich young man approaches Jesus and he says, what good must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Yes, yeah, straight up. So, That's one thing I think you could say. But another thing I think is this. The commandments are not abolished. The Ten Commandments, that is, are not abolished by the law of love that Jesus gives. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The the law of love, to love God and your neighbor as yourself, sums up the commandments. And we've always understood in the Catholic Church that the first three commandments that deal directly with the love of God— fall underneath the love of God. And then the four through 10, which deal expressly with love of neighbor, starting with the most fundamental relationship, and that is the relationship we have with our parents, Mm -hmm. is about the love of neighbor. So it's not like all the commandments go away and we just have love God and love your neighbor. Those commandments are contained within love of God and love of neighbor. You can't love God and break the first three commandments. You can't love your neighbor and break the last seven. That's just not possible. It's a contradiction in a way. That's right. Yeah. And not only that, love has rules. Talk about the law of love. Well, love has its own law. If love means I will what is good for someone, don't I need to know what's good? Isn't love bound by the good? Sure. Well, how do we know what's good and what's not? What we should do and what we shouldn't do? Because of law. So, you could, you could say that the commandments tell us the good we should choose and the evil we should refuse if we're going to authentically love God and our neighbor. 
So right there, you can see that law is absolutely essential if we're going to love rightly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially, the law uh, in our church is the discipline, right? Or else it would be a free-for-all. We need to have that foundation uh, that is rooted in law to keep us on target to experience the true love that God has for us. Sin in the scriptures, the word used in the scriptures, means to miss the mark. Well, if there's no mark, there's no sin. There's no sin. Right, right. It makes sense. Very logical. So you always make those logical points, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, this is an awesome discussion. Uh, Father Murray will certainly add to this. Yeah, I just love him. He's, he's, he's a bright light. He is. He really is. So awesome. All right. Peace, man. Peace. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Alanis with Who's That Saint, where I give you guys three clues on one saint for you to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? Clue number one. This saint actually lived during the same time as the widely renowned Saint Francis of Assisi, so you can go ahead and cross him off your list. But if this hint helps at all, they were actually both acquaintances and were in the same religious order. So we've got a Franciscan on our hands. Who's that saint? Clue number two. The saint was gifted a book of Psalms that they cherished very much, but one day a young novice decided he wanted to leave the order and for some reason he decided he was gonna take this book with him as he ran off. Understandably upset by this, the saint prayed that the young man would be moved in his conscience to return the book. And as God would have it, not only did the young man return the stolen book, but he also returned back to the order. Who's that saint? Clue number three. Even though the saint is most commonly known as being the patron saint of, well, I won't share with you right now what he's the patron saint of because that'll be a dead giveaway, but he's also the patron saint of so many other things. For example, of amputees, animals, Brazil, elderly people, horses, oppressed people, poor people, pregnant women, shipwrecks, and just like many, many more things. God really said, uh, what do you want to be the patron saint of? And he just answered, yes. Last chance, guys. Who's that saint? Well, if you guessed St. Anthony of Padua, then you are correct. St. Anthony was a simple and humble friar born in August of 1195 in Lisbon, Portugal, although he's associated with Padua, Italy. He fearlessly preached the good news of the gospel with much love, and although many of his fellow friars thought he was uneducated, he actually became a great preacher and theologian. And as I mentioned earlier, his prayer convicted the young novice to find his vocation again, which made the saint widely known as the go-to guy for when you lose stuff. So if you're anything like me, then uh, you call upon his intercession on a daily basis. His claim to fame was really his preaching, so much so that his tongue is incorrupt. St. Anthony's feast day is June 13th. St. Anthony of Padua, pray for us. Hey, we love that you listen to our Reason for Hope, and we want to make it better for you. You can help us do that by filling out our survey. Just click on the URL in the show notes so we can help you dive even deeper into your faith. Hey, everyone. This is Jack Garno, and welcome back to The Music Corner. AOH Music has been preparing to be a part of the National Eucharistic Revival. 
A Ray of Hope is blessed to be a part of this revival with our new offering called Behold. Behold is a three-night encounter with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament offered by A Ray of Hope in collaboration with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, featuring talks, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and music provided by AOH Music. AOH Music will be performing a number of originals and covers, some of which we've been posting as reels on Instagram and TikTok. Check out some of these covers we'll be playing at Behold that we've been posting on social media. Father Gerald Murray was born in Brooklyn, New York in May 1959 and grew up in New Rochelle, New York. He attended Regis High School and Dartmouth College. He entered St. Joseph's Seminary, Dunwoody, in 1980 and was ordained a priest on December 1st, 1984. Presently, Father Murray is the pastor at Holy Family Church in New York City. Father Murray has appeared as a commentator on religious topics on various television and radio outlets, including EWTN, EWTN Spanish, Fox News, Fox Business News, MSNBC, Ave Maria Radio, Fox News Radio, and The Voice of America. He is also a columnist for The Catholic Thing and an author. His most recent book is Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crisis Facing the Catholic Church and Society. Please welcome Father Gerald Murray. So, Father, so nice to have you here uh, with us today. It's a pleasure and an honor. Uh, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and I know that we've met a couple of times, and I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. But before we kind of get into all the nitty-gritty and and uh, what's going on, I, 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 you know, I'm curious about your background. I'm curious about you. Uh, were you brought up in a, a Catholic family? Tell me a little bit about your background. Sure, yes. Um, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I was raised in Brooklyn, and then my parents moved to New Rochelle, New York, Westchester County, just north of the city. Uh, my parents were practicing Catholics. Uh, they had gone to Catholic schools. They actually met in Fordham Law School and got married after graduating. And uh, yeah, I was raised, went to Catholic grammar in high school and uh, you know, practicing, going to Mass on Sundays. So yeah, it was a serious home. My dad was a big reader. And uh, he inspired me to read G.K. Chesterton, Cardinal Newman, people mm. like that. So I had a wonderful upbringing. 
So uh, you're from New York, like me. So you don't. I don't hear the, mm-hmm. the New York accent. Forget about it. Hey, you, hey, come here over here. Uh, you kind of got rid of that. Well, my mother, my mother was saying she said always speak proper English. You know, so the the Brooklyn accent is enjoyable, but a little bit. How can we say uh, unconventional? So. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. But yeah, I, I, we all have our um, accents and mine. I don't know where you fit it in, but. Once you go out in New York, everybody says you're in New York. That's right. That's right. So, um, so you really brought up uh, in, in, in both your parents were attorneys, huh? That's it. Yeah, I grew up in a legal family. Wow. And the uh, the law was always part of you know our discussions at the dinner table. You had to prove your case. You had to state <laughs> facts, not just opinions. You had to answer questions. You couldn't dodge. So it was uh, it was very helpful. Good upbringing. Uh, you were being trained early on, huh? Yes, and I was intending to become a lawyer, but in college, I was inspired to enter the, you know, decide to enter the seminary upon graduation. So we had a wonderful Catholic chaplain, and then I went to the seminary for the Archdiocese of New York shortly after graduating uh, college. So you you kind of were brought up upon the faith of your parents. It seems was there ever a moment where um, you started to um, adapt or really feel the faith for your own, uh, so, sort of like having ownership of like having a relation, personal relationship with Christ. Was there a moment in your life where it sort of kind of clicked and you started to feel God in that way? Yeah, I can remember as an altar boy on Holy Thursday, we went to the church and took turns for the adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And I remember that I really enjoyed that. and. Uh, I enjoyed being an altar boy, and yeah, I, I stayed close to, to God throughout my youth. In college, uh, then things got, I became more devoted, started saying the rosary. We had the rosary every night in the chapel, and then I, we also went to daily mass. We had a group of us, and I joined that. So, yeah, more prayerful, more thoughtful, and, uh, you know, became more aware of what was going on in the church and decided I really would love to serve the Lord and his people full time. And that's when I decided to become a priest. And and what was that? Was that when you were in college? Yes. I guess by the end of my sophomore year, second year, I decided I would enter the seminary. And then uh, that consolidated third year, fourth year, I had to tell my parents I was not going to apply for law school, but rather to go to the seminary. And that was you know, the moment of the entry into the path that I have, have been now following for, yes, I've been a priest 38 years, four years in the seminary, so 42 years later, here we are. Wow. So I want to reveal to our guests and viewers that you're a canon lawyer. So uh, I want to talk about that, So, um, which would make sense since you grew up within that context and your family there. Um, let's tell our when was that moment that you decided that you wanted to pursue becoming a canon lawyer? When was when was what was that like? And why would? Well, actually, I was ordained in 1984, and then was in parish work. I also worked in the pro life office of the archdiocese, uh, and I would was interested to pursue further studies in theology. And I told that to the cardinal, Cardinal O'Connor, and he got back to me and said, "Well, I'd like you to study canon law." And I said, okay, I hadn't thought about studying canon law, but I did. And I'm ever grateful that he asked me that because 
it prepared me well for not only doing canon law work, but also to be a commentator on different public media outlets, TV, radio, because so many of the questions in the life of the church have to do with her laws, regulations, sure. violations of those laws. So it's been a very helpful training. So explain to our viewers, what is a canon lawyer? A canon lawyer is someone who's completed the course of studies that's offered at one of the canon law faculties or in these Roman universities or in Catholic U in, New York, in Washington, up in Ottawa, they have a canon law school. So you complete the course of studies, uh, you can get either a master's or a PhD degree. I was completed the PhD, it's called the JCD. Uh, and it involves studying the Code of Canon Law, which is the law book of the church. I have my code right here. It's a big book that contains all the laws of the church, but it's not, all other laws are written in other books. So you have to study a whole variety of things. And then you also train, as I did, to uh, hear marriage petitions for de declarations of nullity. So you have to study case law from the Roman Rota, which is the Supreme Court, so to speak, in, in uh, Rome that hears marriage cases. So it's a, it's a complicated matter, but I always say canon law is applying theology to everyday life in the church. So you guarantee people's rights, and, and you enunciate their responsibilities, and then you have remedies when people uh, violate their obligations. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, do you have to take like a, a bar exam or something uh, at the end of it, or is it? You have to. No, you have to complete the degree, which involves you know regular exams over the course, and then there's uh, final exams. Uh, you also have to write a master's or PhD thesis, which is accepted. So once you get your canon law diploma, you're entitled to practice as a canon lawyer. And how how long does it take to to achieve that? Study? It can take. It takes three years. Uh, to complete the basic course, the master's level, uh, an additional two or more years if you want to get the uh, doctorate. So wow. on my day, it was only four years, so I got mine in uh, four and a half years. But um, yeah, it depends. They, they've added some years of, they added an extra year of study because there's so much material that needs to be covered. When did the church institute the idea of canon law and, and, and why do we need it as a church? Yes, well, it's, it goes right back to the apostles and their immediate successors. In any society, you need rules, and then you need uh, the enforcement of those rules because living in society means cooperating with other people to attain certain ends. And uh, that cooperation is not simply at the individual inspiration of each person. No, there has to be a common set of goals, rules, objectives, and that's what law is. Now, since the church represents God, uh, her laws are implementing, you know, the eternal law, the revealed law of God. But then there are laws that are simply reflective of what works in society. So we have laws, for instance, on church property. Um, in no way can you say that church property law is found, uh, you know, in the Bible such that everybody recognizes it. You know, it develops based on human experience about what's just and how do you ownership, transfer of ownership, mm -hmm. uh, what happens uh, if, uh, let's say, a religious co congregation goes out of existence, the last member dies, who gets the property? So all well, these kind of laws are there 
there's then there, we have trials in the church uh, because there can be disputes and then there can be offenses and crimes, canonical crimes. So, so we have trials, we have judges, we have procedural law. A lot of that was based on Roman law. So, and then it, it adapts and grows. The, the Code of Canon Law was first issued in 1917, then it was updated okay. in 1983. Okay. And then uh, th this Pope has reformed uh, the book on penalties that was reformed and other changes over time. So Canon Law does uh, move with the times to recognize new problems and how to handle them. Hey, if you're enjoying this interview, be sure to check out the full video version on the Array of Hope channel. Subscribe for free at watch.arrayofhope.net. Then download the app by searching Array of Hope on your mobile device, Apple TV, or Roku. So our topic today happens to be law and order, and uh, the idea that it is only through obedience to the law of God that we have a just ordering of society and bring about true human flourishing. So can you explain how the very concept of law has been deconstructed today? Um, like what is what is a law and what is the purpose of law? And what is the proper relationship between divine law, natural law, and civil law? Yes, yeah, so law, St. Thomas said it's an ordinance of reason mm. uh, for the guidance of the community that's been promulgated, made known. So it's, it's first thing is an ordinance, meaning it's, it's guidance, order, according to reason. So it has to be reasonable. <clears throat> that is, it's not arbitrary or irrational. So it's based on, you know, recognition of the order of reality and how we're supposed to live in the order, live in the real world. It has to be, it's given by a legislator, someone who has authority or power to give laws for the benefit of the community. And it's also public. It's not, you know, hidden things. So laws have to be promulgated, made known. That gives the people the opportunity first to learn about it and then to reflect on how they're going to obey it. So um, the, the law of the church is related to God's natural law, what the law that we see inscribed in nature, both the physical and, and the moral aspect of nature, how human beings are physically constructed and then moral or moral obligations that we have to preserve our life, to love our neighbor. Mm. Uh, we have to, you know, take care of children, you know, uh, that we, that, that are offspring of a couple, you know, this is a natural law. The parents cannot abandon their children. So church law would deal with, uh, how are those children to be raised religiously? So you have, you have the obligation to baptize your children. Uh, to give them religious education, uh, things of that sort. God's eternal law is the basis of all law, because the eternal law is the will of God revealed to mankind, and uh, that law is then implemented or seen that particular human laws, which could be contingent on situations, uh, depending on the circumstances, they have to be just and suitable to promote human welfare and give honor to God. So we don't, unjust laws are no laws at all, as St. Thomas said, but we know plenty of unjust laws are in existence around the world, even in our own country. You wrote this great book, Calming the Storm, uh, Navigating the Crisis Facing the Catholic Church and Society, and you began with the discussion of the main problem that we are facing is the denial of reality. 
Uh, and you go to discuss how the uh, how this is ultimately the rejection of the metaphysics of St. Thomas Aquinas' teaching on creation, which is really fascinating. I mean, can you elaborate a little bit on these ideas? Yes, uh, the loss of reality is when people, uh, they get into ideas or systems of thought that are detached from the real order of things. And they start pretending that they have the power over nature and the moral order to redefine things. So the perfect example was so-called same-sex marriage, that two men could marry each other, two women could marry each other. In the order of reality, that's impossible because the purpose of marriage is the procreation, education of children within a stable, loving, lifelong relation between a man and a woman. Uh, two men or two women cannot generate the next uh, offspring, uh, offspring. So it, marriage is not simply two people who love each other and promise to help and stay with each other. Uh, you can be brother and sister live that way. You can be friends live that way. Uh, it, marriage is about procreation. And this is where you get back to the order of reality. How do we know it's about procreation? Well, because that's the way God made male and female. And the purpose of the sexual reproductive organs would, would be if, if, it, if they would have no purpose if they weren't meant to be used together with each other. So that's why we have, you know, Lord created the world to be fertile and multiply. But even people never heard that figure out what is the purpose of their bodies and they say where to you know where's the next generation coming from that's natural law guides people to understand that for a lay person like me it seems like common uh canon law is really rooted in in logic and and uh common sense really uh mm. and, and yet uh our culture today uh, and, and even our church seems to push back on that and uh, uh why do you think that is why why do you th why do you think that the church is uh, denying the uh, existence of things that are rooted in natural law? Well, thankfully, it's just some members of the church. The problem is they're influential members. You know, we have cardinals in Germany, Luxembourg, uh, bishops throughout the world, sad to say, who all are in favor of uh, accepting homosexuality as a gift from God and, and a normal and good thing. Uh, Cardinal Hollerick said that churches teaching homosexuality is wrong. Cardinal Marx said it has to be changed. He's the Archbishop of Munich. So basically, we've had bishops who reject aspects of Catholic doctrine, and they're bold because they make that known to the public. They're trying to influence the public to agree with them and thereby compel the church through her magisterium to change her teaching. This is wrong. It shouldn't happen. Yeah. Why they're doing it is... You know, they themselves more or less state that since they don't accept uh, what we call metaphysical realism, that the, the nature of reality determines our cooperation with reality. So the human body is meant for reproduction. They say, no, well, the human body can be meant for other things. And we can express love and affection through sexual activity apart from man and woman. And we say, no, we can't do that. That's a pagan way of looking at things destructive. This is what's going on. Those bishops really are being uh, disloyal to God, to their oath. When you become a bishop, you swear an oath to uphold the doctrine of the faith, and they're not doing it. And they're aware they're not doing it because at the time they swore the oath, uh, they never expressed reservations out loud that they're now saying 
the things they're saying out loud right now. So if you swear that you're going to uphold the doctrines and then 10 years later say, well, I'm not going to uphold these doctrines, then wait a minute, did you uphold them 10 years ago? Mm. To all appearances you did. Um, that's dishonest to, to yeah. the a way of acting. So yeah. I'm, I, we have to state these facts because people like to say in the church, oh, you know, the church will catch up with the times. Uh, because the times you know, we live in, homosexuality is now accepted by American law and the rest. Well, mm -hmm. the Catholic Church is not like American law. Right. Yeah. Our law comes from God. You know, and, and I do want to affirm something that you said, which was really important. It, it is a minority, right? I mean, uh, yes. not all cardinals and bishops think this way. But unfortunately for us, the laity, uh, they're the ones that are speaking the loudest and, and heard uh, and that's a whole nother interview why uh, the orthodoxy of the church doesn't speak forward uh, and rebuke these statements. Uh, but, um, well, you, you're that person, right? You you share the importance of of the orthodoxy of, of the positions of the teachings of the church, which is wonderful. And I commend you for that. Um, which is sort of like uh, um, my next question. I I'm a fan of the show that you have on EWTN, The Papal Posse, and uh, I'm sure many of our viewers and listeners uh, check out that show, uh, which is really cool. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about that, how, um, you know, how that came about, and, uh, you know, you have uh, Robert Royal on it, and um, you have Raymond Arroyo on it as well. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. No, that, uh, that all started back in 2013 when Pope Benedict resigned from the pontificate. Uh, EWTN contacted me uh, if I would like to be part of the commentary team to go to Rome and comment on the election, which ended up electing Pope Francis. Now, I have been doing previous to that maybe 10 years or so uh, commentary on Fox News for religious topics. So, for instance, when Pope John Paul II died, I did a lot of commentary. So they were aware that I was uh, sort of, so to speak, a veteran on commentary. So I went over to Rome, did the commentary on the papal election. And when we got back, Raymond Arroyo decided that Bob Royal and I would keep coming back as a kind of uh, news and commentary segment. Turns out to be about once a month. And uh, it's been very successful because... Lots of people watch. We, Bob and I, when we're traveling different places, people come up and tell us what, how much they enjoy the program. Raymond gets a lot of fan mail. Uh, and he's a very good host. Bob Royal is a scholar. I'm a canon lawyer. So we different perspectives, uh, be able to look at the news. And I think it's important because um, in the Catholic world, People want the same kind of serious news coverage that they see on the news networks. I mentioned Fox, you have CNN. Uh, people like to hear, you know, what's the rest of the story? You can hear about a bishop resigning or being disciplined, priest, this or that. So what's going on? That's what we try to answer. Thank you for doing that. And I think it's so important to, uh, to offer the clarity that uh, is really needed in our culture. So... And, and I don't want to scandalize our audience here, uh, but, you know, a, a friend of mine, Father Frank Pavone, just recently was removed from the priesthood. And uh, it's this ongoing, you know, this canceled priest uh, uh, movement that's been happening. And uh, these occurrences are, are troubling to the faithful, I have to say. For Catholics that are 
you know, a little bit more, uh, they have a focus on orthodoxy or tradition. Um, there's, a, there's a sense of that the church is abandoning them. And um, we love the church, uh, and we love Christ, uh, and we love the faithful. So what would be uh, advice that you can give uh, these members of the church that are struggling, that are confused, that feel somewhat abandoned uh, by their church at this time? Sure. Well, you know, there's no gospel promise from our Lord that we won't be disappointed. Mm. Uh, and that's one of the things in life that's hardest to get, you know, get through is when the people we look up to and trusted end up doing things that we find abhorrent or wrong or mistaken. Uh, you know, that doesn't, they don't lose their office. The Pope is still the Pope. And the Pope doesn't like the Tridentine Latin Mass. You know, he's made it clear he's not interested in people attending that. So he's taken steps against it, which have caused a huge amount of upsetness in the life of the church. We shouldn't become so disappointed that we say, oh, this is ridiculous. No, we just say, we disagree. We're going to continue to stand by our position. We're going to make it known. We right. have arguments in favor. Right. Uh, yeah. And, this is how we have to deal with it. So, you know, people who are shocked that a pro-life leader is thrown out because he allegedly blasphemed and, and uh, allegedly disobeyed his bishop over the course of years, um, they you you can say, well, uh, I still believe in the church and I still consider her to be the bride of Christ. Uh, I'm just not happy with what her leadership's doing. Let me pray about it and ask God to reverse it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's uh, that's imp important what you just said, because I have colleagues, friends, even family members that are saying, you know, I, I can't deal with this Catholic church. I'm out of here. And I have friends that, you know, go to other denominational churches because of what they're seeing and experiencing in the Catholic church. And, and, and pretty much, uh, you know, I paraphrase essentially what you said is that, you know, look, <laughs> you know, I'm upset too, but this is the church that Jesus founded, right? And we believe in the teachings of Jesus Christ. So we, we have to endure, you know, and like what you said, the only way that we can do that is by continuing to pray to our Lord, continue to pray for our clergy, our Pope. Yeah, absolutely, though, no, that's the key to it, and, you know, within your sphere of influence, you can that's right. make known uh, what's reasonable and charitable, uh, and, um, you know, Canon 212 in the Code of Canon Law says that the, lay, the faithful are entitled to make known their views to the leaders of the church. You know, that's, the faithful are not, it's not like the Wizard of Oz where no one great gets to speak to the great, you know, wizard. No, the, the, the Pope is our father in Christ. And when your father disappoints you, then you, you know, you tell it, you tell it to him. Yeah. And if he's doing things that are ill-advised, you say, well, let, let me give you the rest of the story. And what you say about others, I mean, my pro-life friends are quite upset about this because you know, Frank Pavone was an inspiration to them, and he, he stood up. He's, when Terry Schiavo was being starved to death in Florida, he was right there and, you know, promoting uh, efforts to try and save her life, which sadly didn't result in that happening. But uh, he's done a lot of good over the years. He himself says he's made mistakes, and who, who, who would be a, a exempt from that? So we have to be... Uh, very faithful to the church, but on the other hand, that fidelity doesn't mean you agree with every decision that's made. Father, is anything that we can do for you? Is there anything that we can promote for you or uh, share with our viewing and listening audience? 
Well, you've been kind. You mentioned that book that I wrote. It's an interview book called Calming the Storm. It's an awesome book, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's an interview book with Diane Montagna. Diane is a Rome-based journalist who covers the Vatican, uh, excellent journalist. She uh, conceived all of the questions that are in the book, and we did a back-and-forth dialogue over the course of about a year to produce it. Um, yeah, so I highly recommend people look at that because I explain at greater length some of the things that we've just been talking about, Mario, and then also other topics in the life of the church, mm-hmm. the whole Latin mass uh, right. problem. We talk about that mm-hmm. at great length. Yeah. I also write a monthly column at The Catholic Thing, which is a website run by Robert Royal, and I highly recommend it with some great authors on that website. I'll also just last thing I do uh, periodic comments co- columns for the Human Life Review. So the Human Life Review is the leading intellectual journal of the pro-life movement, and they have a beautiful website. So I write pastoral commentaries, which are, you know, attempt to keep uh, people's focus in the, in the pro-life movement on that we're serving God and His purposes. Awesome. Well. Uh... Thank you, Father. Thank you for your time. It's been really great just sharing the faith with you and uh, uh, just being having fellowship together and, and being optimistic and prayerful and, and having hope for the church. I mean, we have to have hope, and we do. You know, uh, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail, right? So, uh, amen. 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 Thank you, Father. God bless you. Thank you, Mara. God bless you. So glad that you joined us today for this episode. I want to remind you, please share it with as many people as possible. Let everybody know we need as many people as possible to know God better. Also, please comment in the comment sections and also give us an endorsement. It really helps. We also ask you to prayerfully consider going to our donation page and helping us in our work. Go to our website at arrayofhope.org. Join us on social media where it keeps us connected to our faith through music, videos, and daily reflections. There's lots of great stuff to share with you all. We pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day on Instagram at 3 p.m., so join us as a universal church to pray together. Our next podcast will feature Patrick Madrid, where we are going to talk about apologetics. So thanks for joining us today, and there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace.